keeping a secret safe with me One book of matches, two little feet Three billion stars light up the beach Well, hello out there to all of you fine podcast appreciating people This is the Strange Tonic Podcast We're back after a break, which is all my fault Because it's not for lack of content Um, Between this conversation that E and I had a couple weeks ago And some conversations Michelle and I have in the can from a while back There's more uh, to be posted that I just haven't gotten around to Due to my classic laziness slash occasional bouts of uh, not being motivated but in this case eh, at least in the past few days it was problems with what we'll call uh, technical issues and the silver lining in that is that I had to re-edit and re-edit and re-edit this wonderful informative just great conversation with my friend E here uh, multiple times, and just each time I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, why did I forget about that? I should have forgotten that. This is cool. So, I encourage you all to sit through this intro here, plus, uh, you know, the almost two hour long conversation, and of course, you gotta listen to It's Here, another new single from Pan Astral. It's Seaside. Which they uh, played, they debuted at a live show recently, and I apologize to you guys for not uh, plugging it because uh, it kind of been radio silent for the past two or three weeks. So uh, I wish I could have done that, but it looked like a great show from what I saw on social media. Seaside sounds great, and I just can only assume there's more music to come because you know, I just know my friend Tad in the first place, the wonderful guitar player, is. He's one of the best travelers I've ever heard, and um, combine that with the other guys in the band, and um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. They're a fantastic group. You'll enjoy it, so please check them out. From there, uh, I don't want to add too much because I think the conversation sort of speaks for itself, but if you do have questions or just want to chime in, feel free to hit me up at either feedback at thestrangetonic.com or at uh, my personal address on the blog, which is noelmack at strangetonic.com. Uh, if you don't know how to spell that, I recommend just even a feedback one because it probably means uh, you might not know me that well, but you probably do. Whatever. Let's do it. Let's get this conversation. Thanks again to E. Thanks again to you. And Astral. And thanks again to you. childlike on the phone for sure huh i don't know i i didn't think that i apparently sound different on the phone than people like if people like call me if they like never called me before they're like no 
it's me. <laughs> I usually have problems with clients who are like, pass me to the attorney. Oh, I'm like, oh. Zing, you got me there. That's bad. <laughs> the, uh, oh, well. I'm based out of a branch right now where like those of us that work in division of company I work in all have offices like in the back, but there's an actual like storefront up front and I'll go up there to like print stuff off sometimes and people will walk in and they'll just immediately walk right past the young gal who works at like the front desk, who is the salesperson and walk over uh -oh. to me and they're like, aren't you the manager? It's like, I'm a manager, but not here. <laughs> no, I can't help you out. I, I know where nothing is here. Go talk to her. Oh, I would wow. imagine some of that's just, yeah, you're, you know, every day, just sexism. Uh, yep. Yep. I had a great, I had a client the other day, because um, I'm going to the detained facility a lot, and I went, I think, the day before I even met this woman's husband, who is detained, so she was waiting there to see him. And she saw me and noted, she told me, she told me this whole story. I don't know why she told me this, but she saw me and I like took my shoes off to go through the metal detector because you have to do that at like nine out of 10 metal detectors. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you don't have to do that. And she was like, everyone was looking at you. And I was like, who's this young girl? She doesn't know what she's doing. She's taking her shoes off. Huh. And it's like, Lady, I have been through more metal detectors than you have, period. Like, that's not a sign of of uh, no experience. Geez. And then she, like, has to tell me this. She's like, I thought you were somebody's secretary. Oh, that's, like, well, that's lovely. Lucky for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep your husband from getting deported. Let's get to work. Well. Yeah, I don't know if I would have the same amount of patience. I'd probably just like glare at them for a little while and be like, okay, let's get to work. <laughs> <laughs> no, there you go. That's that's the, the poise of the of the woman. I just have to laugh and say, isn't that the darndest? And then yep. uh, keep going. Yeah, I was like, so I was telling my dad that you were not going to record this. I was talking to him on the phone. I was driving home from work. And he still doesn't quite get like he understands that Kavanaugh made an ass out of himself and that the stuff should be taken seriously. But I don't think he quite understands like the anger. And yeah. It's like, well, it's just, you know, they're told from a young age that you know, they need to watch out for our feelings first. So even when they're offended, they're like, okay, let's just move on as where we can, you know, as men gripe and like, yeah. Because we're all big children. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, everyone. The, the the stereotype is that is that women's feelings get hurt more, and that we react to things more emotionally than men do. And it's like, no, I have literally never seen that to be proven out. You know, in in identical situations, um, it's always I'm always offending. Guys, way more than I offend women. <laughs> and maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm an abrasive person. Or, you know, maybe I forgot all of those lessons on how to be a lady or something. But, um, but you're pointless yeah. lessons. 
St. Louis. Um, so I am, I did grow up in uh, Illinois, but like on the river and across okay. the river from St. Louis. Okay. So you're yeah. sort of like me in that, although I didn't grow up there, I was born in Wisconsin, but technically in a part of the Twin Cities, which always confuses people. <laughs> Like, so you're yeah. from Minnesota? No, <laughs> from directly across the river. Yeah. So I, I like to say I'm from St. Louis because that was our metropolitan area. You know, that's yeah, where our news came from. That, that's I'm a Cardinals fan, um, but technically Illinois. Gotcha. So when it comes to football, though, because I know people that are such like cardinals fans as far as like being represent st louis that they still mm -hmm. cheer for the arizona cardinals is that the case for you no no I, no <laughs> i had a team for a while and then they abandoned us so i'm i'm teamless i'm like stateless and um, yeah they abandoned you guys in very awful fashion too which was asking for money asking for money asking for money and then basically yeah. shitting all over Bye. the fans and then leaving. Yeah. 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 It, it, it seemed very sudden to me. My dad insisted it was not. Um, but I had to throw out my Ram socks uh, bitterly. <laughs> but, you know, it's, a, it's okay because I haven't been really big on uh, the NFL for a while. So I'm not like – yeah. Missing it. <laughs> I used to be like way, way into it. Like even just like maybe five, six years ago. But I think I watched a couple games the opening weekend, maybe one game the second weekend this year. No football at all this last weekend. Um, I only kind of keep up with it because I do a fantasy football podcast with somebody and I got to help them out. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's the NFL. I think. There's more and more people, and this is like a bipartisan thing that could kind of take it or leave it. So that's, I guess that's a uh, silver lining there, I suppose. It's weird, right? Yes. I, but everybody's upset about the NFL for different reasons. That's true. So it's like, <laughs> I'm boycotting the NFL. Ooh, why are you boycotting the NFL? <laughs> Definitely not for that reason. And now I hate you. So it's a, it's a. Can that's, cause more issues. That's a very good point. <laughs> As where my reason, apart from the whole uh, you know, Kaepernick thing, is even before that, I had a huge problem with just how greedy the owners are and, and just operating these scams to try and get public funding for you know, private stadiums that they make all the money off of. But you tell yeah. people that and they're like, oh, <laughs> It's like I That's just. That's a complicated issue. <laughs> yeah. And... There's like numbers in there. Well, and as you can probably already guess just from so far, I don't do small talk all that well. I'll just engage in like a deep conversation. People are like, uh, what the? Okay. Bye, weirdo. <laughs> and then. I, I only do small talk with my clients and people at weddings that I don't know. <laughs> otherwise it's not it's work small talk is work it is 
Yeah, I I'm the same way. Like, if I have like a brand new customer, it's always the most awkward part because it's like, can we get past this so we can just like have work conversation, or at least like, yeah. You know, I've got this one new customer where I, we've had the relationship for two weeks, and like now we actually like have a personal connection, so we can when we're not talking work, we can talk whatever, like skateboarding, which I I kind of feel weird with this one dude because he still skateboards now. I'm like. I was way into that in middle school. Like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. Like, oh, I'm like, yeah. So I wasn't trying to insult you, man. <laughs> but, I was trying to make a connection. <laughs> but we we bond over drinking tea throughout the day at work and Spinal Tap references. Somehow we both make those. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a huge. Well, spinal that's tap something. Fan. That's true. It's something to build on. Yeah, and I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's something you have to go through a fair amount in your profession is finding you know, not just common ground, but like things so you can like bond with people. And uh, it's really hard. Well, and I, I usually try to pride myself on, on getting along with, or at least connecting to people from totally different parts of the world um, mm -hmm. who may not have even lived here for very long, or if they do, they live in, you know, isolated communities. So it's really hard, but sometimes I am just saying like, oh, this weather, am I right? And I don't even know what the weather is. Yeah. I have been inside all day, but you got to be friendly or say something and um, it can be challenging. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I have to get them to trust me and they're not going to trust me unless they like me. And it's this, it's this big it's all work. So when I, when I meet other people outside of work, we mm -hmm. not small talking. Let's talk about murder. I don't know. <laughs> I I understand that. Um, <laughs> so, speaking of your work, I was just thinking about this. Um, I I probably have no legit seriousness about this anymore, just because I I feel like I'm kind of at a certain age where it's probably too late. But like I've I'd always been like, I might go to law school if only I could not get. <laughs> saddled by horrible student loan debt yeah and don't was, do it <laughs> apart from that i was talking with uh actually that uh let's go out here and say it, like if, austin if you're offended i'm sorry i was talking with that dude um who <laughs> the, the lawyer friend of mine from houston and I was telling him that he was like, dude, most of my work is selling my services to clients and finding clients. Uh, and I've got another friend who essentially does like internet marketing. And one of the services that he sells is coaching like legal firms and lawyers, how to directly market themselves to clients on YouTube. And like, rather than using flashy commercials, just say, here's what I do, here's how this works, and here's, here's what my clients usually receive at the end. Yeah. So even doing, like, immigration work, do you find yourself kind of having to do a lot of, like, going out there and selling yourself to clients that way? No. No? Okay. <laughs> That's what I was curious about. <laughs> I And most of the firms that I interviewed with in the area um, – I asked them what their advertising budget was and they would just like look at each other and be like advertising budget. Um, <laughs> it's all, it's word of mouth. Um, 
And it's just, you know, when, when you've done something good for someone, they'll go and they'll tell other people in their community. And you have to have done a good job and you have to have been respectful. And even if they didn't get a good result, they got a bad result, as long as you were communicative with them and they understand that you did everything you could do, you know, you'll get, it's all referral based. Um, I've never had to, I've done like networking stuff, but usually doesn't result in a lot of new connections. It's all just, you got to get started and got to do a good job. And Which, there's so much work. I was going to say, uh, you know, even before um, our great orange one took office, uh, immigrant groups were already marginalized, you know, like crazy. So, yeah, um, I, I would imagine you're never low on work. It's just, as you said, making sure that you're doing good work so that those communities will go, like the people you help will go to their communities and say, hey, like this person gets it or this person does a good job. Right. They'll be like, well, how did you fix your problem? And they'll say, oh, I went to this office um, because they, they, you know, I don't want to avoid making stereotypes, but they tend to have a, cl a closer knit community. Mm -hmm. You know, when people are here coming from another country, they don't know anybody. They, they follow the footsteps of people who came here before them and they'll, they'll form a community and they communicate with each other. And so that's how it's all, you know, you get more from word of mouth than you would from a poster on a bus. Yeah. Um, or firms that do that. I think I saw a firm the other day with a plane flying over and a banner. And I just, what, what are you spending your money on? You what literally the? rented a plane. Just buy a radio spot. Yeah. But. I don't understand that. Like some people, some people really like to see their face plastered everywhere. That is true. Or so part their names plastered everywhere, or or just their orange face. Um, you know, <laughs> if I saw like just a plane fight, because I used to have to drive through downtown Seattle twice a day, and so especially like during like the summer, it wasn't uncommon to see a plane flying around with a banner because there was a baseball game going on. So. I don't even bother to look up because I'm like, it's either progressive insurance, Geico insurance, or something else I don't care about. So yeah. I, I don't understand. That seems like the... I can think of few stranger ways to advertise legal services than flying a <laughs> banner on the back of a plane. Well, just imagine you're walking down the street and you're thinking, I really got to take care of that thing. <laughs> How am I going to... And then the plane flies over and you're like, oh... It's a sign, and you call the guy on the plane. I don't. I'm not sure. I don't know if there's been any focus groups. I don't know if that works. I was going to say you sound like a marketing person trying to sell <laughs> such an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess that it doesn't work that well. By the time the plane is gone, you, have you had enough time to write that down? <laughs> uh, oh, it's. Yeah, this just seems like something you can go on for a while about with jokes. Like, is this a sign from God? Or, like, also, who's walking around just staring up in the sky, like, hoping for good things to happen? Or planes well, to fly by? Uh, <laughs> I, I did look. I did look. I mean, but I'm also, I also lived in New York for 12 years, so a plane flying mm. over is still, like, crazy to me. 
that's true. Yeah, they. Uh, I remember watching not- a documentary about like the helicopters that the police use to fly around over the city, and how like they have mm-hmm. to like maintain like super like secret status because people just they can't see it. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, I'm used to airplanes, well, mostly jetliners everywhere because I used to work across the street from one of Boeing's main campuses where they would always fly planes in for service or fly them out after production. Um, oh. And if you're flying into SeaTac, you, you would have flown over my office. And on the north end where I work now, we're right by a different Boeing facility. So it's planes everywhere. <laughs> oh, and if you're driving oh, into the city, there's seaplanes taking off in the morning. Huh. Yeah, that's, I mean, I remember living in areas where, you know, there are no restricted fly zones and everything, but mm-hmm. there's just like um, an uneasiness uh if a if a plane is flying too low over brooklyn you know yeah and for good reason sometimes it's yeah well and, and then i mean i know that it's been a really long time and i i was not living in new york in 2001 but because they just don't do that anymore and mm-hmm. um you know you have to fly at a certain height or a certain distance out unless you're one of those uh water landing planes that can take yeah. off inland in, in the river for tourism but y- it just doesn't happen so on a rare occasion that it does like everybody looks up which you know makes sense yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then how did you because i know tons of people hell i know people that went to unc for reasons that I don't really understand, but like, how did you end up at CU Boulder? Oh, um, I don't know if that's like a great story. I, <laughs> it's I... up to you if you want to tell it or not. <laughs> I, um, I decided that my, I had to get out of my hometown or I would die there. And Fair. I had to become independent. So I was like, I'm going to go somewhere that is too far away for me to get home on the weekend. So it had to be like more than an eight hour drive. Um, And I was like, I've never been to Colorado. And (laughs) I Googled colleges in Colorado and CU Boulder was the first one that came up and I clicked on it. And the first picture was a girl playing a violin. And I said, I play violin. And so I applied there. And that was the only school I applied to. Anywhere? Was just, was just CU Boulder? <laughs> yeah, that's it. And you know, forgive me if I'm pressing too much, but would you have had the grades to get in? Because like, obviously CU is a good school. I I didn't have the grades to get into CU, come out of high school, um, to get into any college except for the music school. And even then, I think I didn't. I, that's right. <laughs> I was so bad at classical saxophone, I didn't get in. <laughs> so... Oh, I don't, I, I may not have, I came pretty close to not getting in because, I mean, I had, I had really good grades. I had like above a 4.0, but oh. I had an inflated sense of, of myself when it came to violin coming from a really small town. Um, 
and I went in auditioning with with this Brahms piece, and the judges were like, "Okay, that was very interesting." And the first violin professor like passed on me, and then mm-hmm. the the kooky character violin professor who was probably like four or five years out of retirement, um, away from a j- retirement, was like, "She's got some spunk." And he's like, I'll take her. <laughs> and I was like, spunk. And then when I had my first lesson with him, he's like, throw that piece out. You're never playing that again. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I've been practicing that for a year. It's <laughs> uh, so, funny how that works. <clears throat> yeah, he just thought that I was like entertaining. And that's how I got into the music college, basically. I, fe- I felt like an imposter. Well, I mean, to be fair, a lot of music stuff is the professor going, I can work with this. And yeah. Um, so the saxophone professor at CU, like I'd met with him before. He'd heard me play at a jazz camp that I went to at CU Boulder. And so he knew that I had skills. I'm just awful at classical saxophone. It's, I, I probably still am terrible at it. And, but he and I, like, the few lessons we had, it was like, this just doesn't really mix. Like, I don't understand. Like, what, we're coming at it from two different ways. So I can see that, that, like, I can work with this. And obviously, they're going to notice if you've got some raw talent, which it sounds like you certainly did, as opposed to just like, hmm, this one seems very self assured. Let's go with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, and forgive me, for some reason, I thought you played viola. I have no idea why I thought that. I mean, obviously, they're they're close. That's but interesting. I don't know. Well, I like the rumors about me. This wasn't even rumors. This is just stuff that, <laughs> like, one of those... my memories are like, why was this in my head? I don't recall anyone ever telling me this. I don't recall you telling me that, especially. I don't know where this came from. Like, hmm. It's strings, but it's not violin, and it's not a cello, so it has to be a viola. Why? uh, No one knows. I did. I mean, I played viola, like, for one Brandenburg concerto, because (laughs) for the shits and giggles, but no, I'm not, I can't read that clef very easily. Oh, is it tenor clef? You know, I cheated and wrote all, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I wrote all the finger numbers in. I cheated the crap out of that concerto. But it was fun. <laughs> I actually learned how to play bass clarinet by essentially, I don't know what, I can't remember, it's been so long, um, transposing on the, st- like, so, sorry, this is going to sound really weird. Um, <laughs> so a clarinet is ba- like the, what do they call it? Is that sequence of 11s or something? My music is, is really rusty at this point. <laughs> but the lower register of a clarinet, if you read it like bass clef, is how you would finger those things on a saxophone. So that's okay. how I made that work for me. And then the upper register actually fingers like a uh, saxophone in the upper register. So if you learn to read the bottom part, as bass clef and the, you know, the upper <laughs> register as treble was okay. I played bassoon for a bit so I could do a similar trick with uh, 
tenor clef, which is still a weird thing. Um, but no, like, like I guess I'll, I took piano as a kid and play guitar. I could read sheet music, but yeah, I, 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 I can understand that. Um, oh yeah, my own personal story of why the hell are you playing this piece of music? Was <laughs> I played? Oh no, it wasn't the Haydn Sonata. I'll have to see if I can do these music. I played this piece of music for my auditions for college where I'm not, a, I never was a good sight reader. I'm still not a good sight reader, but I was terrible before. Like if I can hear something, I can play it back to you. But uh -huh. sight reading is its own, like translate in real time kind of thing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's its own skill. So I was told I was playing all of these rhythms wrong, and uh -oh. the guy was like, you don't even know how to play with vibrato. And then this happened to me when I was actually a music major at UNC for a bit, where I nearly failed my jury until uh -oh. the saxophone professor, who had never heard me play jazz before, went to the jazz concert, was like, wait, his technique's there. He can play with, he plays vibrato very well. Why does he suck in lessons? Like, I am awful at classical saxophone. That's <laughs> I don't listen to any of it. I didn't play much of it in high school. I played clarinet. Like, uh... and so you do um, the improvised thing. Like you do, you do jazz sax, and you can improvise and everything in a key. I do. That's my probably my best or my I'm best at improvising, and I can because I I used to play with guitar players because I played in jam bands in college. Jam bands. So I can play in like <laughs> F sharp and shit. It's crazy. Oh my God. That just, Jesus, that blows my brain. I, yeah, I was never, I was probably more the mathematician kind of musician, oh, which is gotcha. why classical worked so well. Once I learned was... to read classical music better, I could, it became much easier for me to sight read that because there's less like, it's very specific. Like the rhythms are written out for you. As uh -huh. with jazz, there's more feel. <laughs> so you're like, I what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. So unless I'd like heard it before, I'm like, crap, I'm gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, cla classical music is sort of like reading a script. You're like, you're sort of an actor. Um, and the script was written hundreds of years ago, and you can't change it. True, and if you do, they will get very mad at you. There's actually. Even a, like judge you. <laughs> there's been a movement within jazz for maybe the past forty years, where, I mean, obviously being uh, living in Brooklyn and New York City for a while, you've probably heard of jazz at Lincoln Center before. And <laughs> if you get like a Duke Ellington transcript piece in front of you, you better play it the way it's fucking written. Um, oh gosh! Like, I, I was, mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems weird. I was playing in a group in college where our director decided that we were going to only play Duke Ellington songs for the first semester. What? And I remember okay. the a kid got up and rather than playing the transcribed solo, because usually like going back to jazz band when you're in high school, they give you a solo you can play that's suggested. But it's like play your own solo, man. Like just just do it. And <laughs> so jazz. yeah, people get used to okay. Well, the amateur move is to play 
be written solo, so I'm going to make something up. But I already knew this. I played in some swing bands where you played, like, Glenn Miller music. You don't deviate from those classic solos. <laughs> so no, when boy. this guy starts playing his own thing, the guy just, you know, does... And I, you can probably, see, like, picture it without even seeing me do it right now. The whole, like, stop playing. Like, not as bad as, say, like... Um, what I can't remember the actor's name, but have you seen Whiplash? I uh, know it. It's sort of like well, it's it's based. The story is a super competitive jazz school out in New York City, which I wanted to attend at one point. And like the guy is just he's like the Bobby Knight, if you will, of jazz band directors. And so whenever something goes on, he just kind of like whips his hand around and closes his fist. And um, so something like that happened, but the director, who is a very nice man, did not do that. He just went, no, that is a <laughs> all-time classic solo. You will learn it, you will play it, and you will play it as it is played on the record. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. So it's kind of funny to see how even like jazz now is like, has his own kind of classical movement within it yeah i mean that's that's really that is a little cultish because that's not what jazz is you know Mm -hmm. um just because you've listened to a recording nine thousand times i guarantee you if if duke ellington himself played that song again the solo wouldn't be the same and that's the point there's a uh it's called potato head blues and it was recorded by Lee Armstrong and his either Hot 5 or Hot 6 band. And I took clarinet lessons from a guy who... I don't know if they're still a thing. Have you heard of the Queen City Jazz Band in your time out there in Colorado, in Denver? Um, No, not, I mean, okay. not yet. They're, they've got a... I think this guy was in his 50s or 60s at the time. And that was like 15 years ago. So, you know, I don't even know if they're still playing. But if they are... Good on them. Okay. But they play traditional Dixieland-style jazz. Aww. And I brought in this sheet of music that we were playing at my high school at the time in our Dixieland jazz combo. And I started playing the transcribed solo, and he pulls the clarinet out of my mouth <laughs> and goes, no! What? And I was like, what? what? Why does this guy talk to kids like I talk to my cat? Admittedly, I was 18, so... I think it's kind of okay. Plus I've had worse from um, <laughs> teachers. I had a saxophone teacher at the same time who was trying to be better at sight reading. And when I was doing terrible, just threw the piece of music across the room and went, let's play something oh. else because you're not playing this anyways. Like, Oh, okay. Um, but no, so he pulls the clarinet out of my mouth and goes, no, they did not play major sevens during this time period. Oh, okay. And I was okay. like, I'm not improvising. This is on the music sheet of music. And he like pulls it out and goes, Oh my god, it is. Because he thought I was just like fucking around and like just you know, I'm gonna play this solo. And like he told me forever that there's certain notes you don't play if you want to be like era authentic, I suppose. Uh-huh. And one of them was a major seventh because that just wasn't done. I, I remember I played a uh, harmonic minor scale one time. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so like the whole, every time we'd go through it from that point on, I land on that note 
and just in my head, like, I'm not supposed to play it. I'm not supposed to play <laughs> So that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's my fun jazz story. <laughs> I've got tons of them, obviously, but. Um, sure. And then, sorry, I'm, believe it or not, if you've listened to an episode before, this is not even as bad as I usually get as far as, like, going away <laughs> in different directions. Um, but you're a, you got a dual major in music and political science, correct? Yes. Yeah, it was a, it was two different colleges, but at the same time. But both through CU, correct? Yeah. Just yeah, okay. So they're colleges of College of Art and Sciences and uh College of Music. That's really cool. I I did not like going to my music classes, so I was not a uh, good music major. <laughs> like oh. I got like the basic the basic music degree. Um, oh, just like the like I wasn't. Yeah, it's just a BA. Yeah, it wasn't performance. It wasn't education. It was it was just a BA. And you know, at the time, it sort of felt like people were looking at me like not a serious musician. And I was like, that's fine. I'm not. I'm just here for fun. Which um, for most that, music majors is what it ended up being. Blasphemy, though, at the time. That's true. <laughs> what symphony and, do you play with none huh yeah what <laughs> <laughs> yeah who are you auditioning with N nobody the no. the eeoc i don't know <laughs> the department of justice <laughs> um <laughs> <Do they prepared? laughs> uh, but you know i did it because i i wanted it and then and then afterwards they're working on like an alumni program right now mm -hmm. and they're very interested in like my motivation for getting a music degree for basically no reason because they're like how can we convince other people to do that <laughs> well they've, they've been doing it so i mean that's yeah i remember reading an article in like downbeat magazine when i was like 17 years old that was talking about the percentages of students at like elite kind of level jazz programs like university levels and how many of them are still playing or, or you know, working in music like 10 years later and it was something like 15 percent yeah yeah which i guess is, so. <laughs> this is also an interesting segue into i've heard similar things about people who have law degrees <laughs> that they're not that actually, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you, do you, is this like, like it doesn't appear that Kavanaugh is using his law degree kind of a thing? Or? Uh, I wasn't making that point, but I very much appreciate that you made Because <laughs> he's not. Um, yeah, or that several members of the Senate committee who keep saying that they've been practicing law for years. And I'm like, and in what way? Because being a Senator isn't practicing law. Nope. Um, also, yeah. um, the whole Kavanaugh thing, the, uh, I cannot remember the woman's first name. I believe it was Rachel, but, uh, Ms. Mitchell. And yeah, know, she wrote a report. I would not have chosen to indict. That's sort of not what this was about, but thanks. Yeah. Uh, no, it, no, it really wasn't. And you know, forgive me if I'm wrong. And also, statute of limitations. <laughs> yes. You wouldn't be able to do that anyway. 
that was what I was going to ask you is uh, what's that mistaken? Like that was well, a moot point to begin with. <laughs> and one of the reasons for that is is I mean it's not like oh you've got away with it for this many years so it's just not fair to prosecute you now. That's not why there's a statute of limitations, you know. It's it because memory is unreliable. It's because uh, evidence may not be available. It's it's. I I mean, unless I'm naive in thinking this, and and state legislatures are a lot more evil than I thought they were, I don't think that the statute of limitations is is there, so that somebody who committed a sexual assault crime years ago who then turned their life around and became a good person and got a job and a law degree and, and did a lot of fun stuff and now has kids and a wife, that it isn't fair to punish that person now. So we're not going to statute of limitations. I mean, that's not why that exists, you know? It, so the idea that it's like, oh, it's not fair. It happened 36 years ago. That's not the rule. If he had murdered somebody 36 years ago, if he had actually suffocated her on that bed, and she had actually died like she thought she was going to, he would, he would be indicted. You know, he would, mm-hmm. there would be a grand jury sitting right now. So, because then there would be a body, but it's, this is the kind of thing where there's no evidence 36 years later. It's and, he said, and she said, yeah, well, it's, you know, there are several yes. witnesses, but the it's, reliability it's of witness testimony a generation later is is not great so that would that would be the reason why you can't prosecute him criminally but that's not the issue i can't even begin to really get into how the people that are defending like it's not even so much i guess maybe defending kavanaugh but just defending i'm trying <laughs> to both be innocent, generous innocent, um... without being too generous um the people that are basically defending unwittingly male privilege don't seem to I understand mean, that how unwitting is it though i mean it's sort of like, like nature i don't want to be too generous here <laughs> they know not what they do but they're still doing it and they're doing it intentionally they just mm-hmm. uh, they just don't understand what they're doing and forgive me like uh, this is why i i no I won't say forgive me, because that makes it sound like I am the one in the tortured kind of situation here, which is not correct. But, um, oh no, don't (laughs) fail me now, brain. Um, A lot of this is sort of, well, basically this. I don't want to, I don't mean to sound ironic when I'm saying that there is a lot of mansplaining going on in this whole thing of, no, this isn't what this is about, you idiots. In response to like, you know, we're we're not defending his privilege, we're defending his character. And you don't know what you're talking about. You're ruining his career. And I just kind yeah, of Yeah, there. And that there it is right there. Yeah. We're ruining his career. Okay, A, we're not, because he's gonna be fine. He's gonna go back to the job that he has, which pays, you know, over probably two hundred and fifty K a year. He's gonna go back to his ninety two thousand dollar a year membership at wherever club that is. He's going to go back to all his fancy uh, game tickets and, and which no one knows oh. how those are paid for, but apparently the $200 charge for a polygraph. Now that needs to be examined. 
$200? I would have thought more. That's um, what I saw on Twitter. I, I'm going to admit <laughs> that right now. I don't. That's not. That's my evidence is a quip I saw on Twitter for that. But <laughs> that might that might have been a joke. Okay. But I do I do have something to add about Kavanaugh and polygraphs, um, which I which I did actually research. But um, he's he's going to be fine. He's going to be very embarrassed. And then with this news cycle, if he doesn't get confirmed. You know, no one is going to remember what he looks like in five years. He's at that age where he's going to start changing in his looks anyway, and he's going to be fine, you know, and, and half, not half, what are we at, like a third, a third of the country believes him anyway. So he's got a one in three chance of running into somebody who really sympathizes him with him. Um, but he's not going to lose his job. He's just not going to get to be the most powerful person in the country. Like cry me a river. And... That that in itself is privilege. That is that is oh, yeah. white white upper class men thinking. I have done all of this. I should get whatever I want. I should get the biggest prize. It's mm -hmm. it's not even like I should be able to live my life and don't torture my family. It's not about your family. It's about you yep. getting the biggest fish. You want everything, and when you can't get everything, you throw a hissy fit. Well, and what I took away from it, I agree, it's it's total entitlement. Um, what I took away from the just, they're, they're lies, obviously, but another way to put it is his embellishing his own, like, story is this Learn. is all about him not just being pissed off that some woman is getting in the way of him getting to the Supreme Court. And, mm -hmm. you know, having this just capstone on his life well lived. But it is very much about protecting this false identity that he has in his own head, that he's a self-made man, that, you know, people like Donald Trump have in their head. The Koch brothers have small, tried to sell themselves. Small loan of a million dollars. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it boggles the mind that how hard is it? To simply go, hey, I was born into privilege. I was lucky enough to do to have that happen. To go to one of the finest preparatory high schools in the country, and right. then I had a grandfather who went to Yale Law School, and I was perhaps a legacy that got me in there. No, we must protect as men this false notion that we all have our own Horatio Alger stories. That well, we, yeah, you know, boot, bootstraps and such. No, no, I, I'm sorry. There's no one who goes to Georgetown prep who has pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. No. That, that is white privilege. That is your parents owned land, their parents owned land, their parents owned land. And no one in your family was ever a slave. No one in your family, you know, maybe if you came over on a boat with nothing in your pockets, maybe they started out, but because the laws have always benefited you, Every generation in your family has been better off than the one before. And you started a really long time ago building that wealth. And it was that wealth and that privilege and the time that your parents got to spend with you and the good schools that they got to send you to and all the tutors that you got and the best schools and all that crap got you into Yale. All that stuff that, that other people don't have. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't you, you know, it wasn't him. He didn't do that. He drank his way through high school and got into Yale. Who else can do that? Only an extremely privileged white guy. And and he's had so many years of being a judge. And that really does something to your perspective on the world because you are like making decisions over people's lives all day every day that's your job everyone has to defer to you you can be an asshole to everyone and they still have to kiss your butt because then he, cool. uh, he yeah he honestly thinks he deserves this and and when it feels like it's slipping away that's when the tears come but you know uh that was according to god damn it the <laughs> I have so many friends that I know voted for Trump that just don't want to talk politics anymore because they're like, I can't, I can't, oh. I can't anymore. Um, but the ones who will still go, well, tend to go to this whole thing of, well, wouldn't you be mad if your good name was being dragged through the mud? I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've never had that before. I would like to think yeah. that. Never as- happened to me. I would like to think, too, that as someone who, how long has he been a federal court judge? Or uh, judge well, it would have to be, it would have to be after, I think, after well, he, he worked for Bush, yeah. so it was after Bush. But yeah, yeah. He's, he's a Yale Law School graduate who has you know, either been working as a political operative, operator, whatever, or federal court judge for essentially his entire adult life. Um, so you would think that he would have at his disposal speech writers or advisors or someone, people who would go, Hey, if you want to get in front of you know, the Senate judiciary committee and not make an ass out of yourself, there's ways to both come across as, yeah, but I, I guess genuine, but without oh, sure. going into the whole thing of, um, the telling easily disprovable, you know, disprovable lies. Like, why are you doing that? Or the mm-hmm. sniffling, or the Alex Jonesian flourishes of this is a plot by the Democrats and Soros and Clinton. Like, you know Jesus why, Christ, man? It's because he's he hasn't practiced law in so long, and he's he's a judge, so he he never has anyone telling him that he's doing something wrong and he never has anyone correcting him. And, and he, he hasn't, you know, if he had a lawyer or if he had a political advisor, they would coach him. Who knows? Maybe he did have both of those things. You know, he was at the white house a lot Mm -hmm. that week and maybe he just ignored it because he's a judge and, and he's about to be on the Supreme court and he knows he knows better than anybody. He's probably sitting in a room with a bunch of experts saying, you guys aren't experts. I can fix this myself. I really, really, really enjoy that take because mine had on this, like why he was such a weirdo was that he was, you know, directly appealing to his, uh, the the guy he's whose boots he wants to lick or is licking and wants to, uh, you know, (laughs) Pledge fealty to for the rest of his life in Donald J. Trump. So I thought this was a don't rescind my nomination. I'm mad at Democrats just like you, but 
I like your take of this was genuine emotion from a man who is just an out of touch, you know, dude yeah. who feels that he deserves this because of his life's work. Yeah, that his reaction was like a and I can't believe this is happening reaction. Um, but why he's thinking that, like you have to wonder why he's thinking that. And it's because, you know, he's he's maybe he doesn't remember what happened in high school. Which is um, fair. But he's not yeah. saying that. Like but, going like, I was right. such a great guy, this would never have happened. Huh? Right. So, so it may be that he, he doesn't remember that this happened. It may be he was so blackout drunk so many times and did so many inappropriate things. It's all just a blur. You know, like those are his alcoholic years. It was a blur. Fine. Yeah. But he's been so good since then. And he's such a good guy. Like, how, I'm a good guy. How could this be happening to me? And it's like, okay, why don't you ask all of the black people who've been shot in the last couple of years who are falsely accused of of having guns or knives or drugs or reaching for weapons or whatever who didn't even get a chance to try to defend themselves in front of congress and and cry about being falsely accused like like you i'm sorry but this is not the worst thing to happen to anybody not by far yes i'm sorry please go ahead no, I'm just, you know, rich white guys are, are not used to being falsely accused of things. They're just not. And and when they are, or maybe when they are accurately accused of things, mm-hmm. they can always pay for it to go away somehow. So so they're not used to this affecting them, which is why they're all freaking out, which is why the, the empathy thing is blowing up. And Donald I Trump is... I have heard that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> empathy? <laughs> empathy oh my god and he's saying oh it's a scary place oh. for young men and and i'm worried about my sons and it's like oh because for the first time in your known existence you might be held accountable for something yeah that is kind of yeah. scary i agree but welcome to the club i i can't begin to really wrap my head around this too much but I can. I can't speak for all men. I obviously can't speak for young men. I'm not frightened right now. I'm not frightened by Me Too. Uh, and I. I guess you know you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but I kind of feel like I was thinking about this tonight with the reemergence of Louis C.K. and because he's in sorry and stuff like that where because in, in my conversations with men they're going well like this what would it do like this is youthful indiscretion and women are coming to take us down well, <sighs> apologize right and I don't feel like as much as I enjoy both CK and and sorry's comedy I feel like both of their apologies were generally, I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm sorry if you were offended. Yeah, I love those apologies. Yeah. And their apologies were just a couple steps better than Trump's uh, apology. Well, not apology. Yeah, what? (laughs) I'm sorry if you were offended. Well, 
it, he didn't even yeah. say that, but the gist of it was, I'm sorry to anyone who was offended, but Bill was worse, which that's a whole other <laughs> can of worms. Um, and it was locker room talk. You're not sorry. You're like, not sorry. Yeah. And no. so like, this is why like, this is probably just a very hard question for anyone to answer, but like what really should be done you know if you are a jackass like louis ck who doesn't seem to understand that the reason he's not being reported or even confronted initially about masturbating in front of female co-workers isn't because they're like oh they must have been cool with it because when they were actually uh -uh. terrified well like, no hey and that's he has like a problem he's got obviously like a kink of some kind and part of the sexual gratification is that he's making women uncomfortable. And, and I mean, that's why I don't know that an apology is really like enough in that kind of situation, mm -hmm. because I listen to a lot of my favorite murder. And a lot of times when they talk about men who become serial rapists or serial murderers, they start with like chronic masturbation or exposing themselves to women or, you know, putting, creating a situation in which a woman is uncomfortable because of the man's imposition of sexuality upon her. Um, it's, it's an aggressive thing. It's a disgusting thing. And he likes the humiliation of it. Um, and so that's not just like, I'm not watching social cues and I'm, I keep kissing on this woman, even though she doesn't want me to no, there's like something seedy there and he knows that it's wrong. There's no way he doesn't know that it's wrong. He probably does it because it's wrong and gets off on that. So I, I, that's disturbing. So he would, in order for me to move past that, like I would have to know that he was in therapy. Um, because that, there's an underlying problem there that is beyond just like, whoops, my bad, ladies. Like, he needs therapy. Um, yes. Yeah. My, I guess a follow-up to that would be, apart from therapy, and this is, you know, this is me uh, kind of thinking this here. I did not like his whole thing of, well, yes, he does need to listen. But I haven't really heard anything from him saying what he's learned from listening. It was like, yes, I'm saying what I think you, what all of you lady folks want to hear. And yeah. I'm going to disappear from the limelight for a while and mm -hmm. pull that movie that, why the fuck was he making that? And then come back and be like, can I do comedy again? Right. Like, uh, can I have my life back now? Yeah. Like, we're all cool, aren't we? Which, not like you have any lasting, you know, traumatic, ex you know, issues with what I did to you. Um, yeah, because I was, yeah. I was telling our uh, our friend, not Austin, but our other friend, that I feel like we need to get to a place where where both men atone for their actions. And there's a way for them to be forgiven. But I don't feel we've even come close to addressing the first part of that. Right. When the initial thing is, 
deny, deny, deny. And you have assholes like Lindsey Graham going, well, why wouldn't this have come forth sooner? (laughs) Catholic Church, Bill Cosby, like, what is wrong with you? Every, like, yeah, everything that happened this month? Yeah. <laughs> this entire month is proof of that? Good point. You don't have to leave the news cycle. <laughs> like, no. You, you, no, seriously. I mean, it happens every day. You know, there are some, there are some women who confront the men that are catcalling them and they get, like, the shit beat out of them. Like, there's a reason why women don't come forward. So... You know, I don't I don't want to hear anything from Lindsey Graham. It's it's just he has no clue. He has no clue. There's no there's no reason why he would ever. Why would he know? Why would any of those men know? And to anyone listening who thinks that Lindsey Graham going, I was told I should shut up, but I will not. And thinks that was valiant or heroic. No, (laughs) no one's telling him to shut up. There's time to fucking listen. And uh, I hate to say it, but um, even people like me who, oh, <laughs> I don't, um, E, I don't know if you ever watch BoJack Horseman. It's, I haven't. <laughs> it's one of my favorite shows. It's, it's, for those of you that know me, it's one of those shows where you might not like it because it's a weird mix of, like, my sense of humor and, like, nerdiness. So I, I, I'm not saying go out and watch it, but there's a excellent episode from this last season where Bojack, the you know, eponymous character, the same for, who is a he used to be a star and is trying to be a star again and has all sorts of his own fucking problems when it comes to history with doing shitty things with women, ends up becoming a hero amongst uh, at least male feminists because he goes on TV and rails against someone who else who had committed bad acts that us men types are oftentimes <laughs> more listened to when discussing feminism yeah. than women which is yeah. fucking bullshit too uh, and I, I don't I totally understand that because um, my mom who does listen to this podcast so she will hear this I told her about two different friends of mine who quite rightly pointed out some of my problems with Hillary Clinton did stem from sexism that I hadn't dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I got very mad at first at both of them. And both of them are friends of mine. One's a very good friend. And then kind of was like, wait, let's think about this for a second. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. And I kind of, I got over it and I thanked them for it. And I told my mom about this and she was like, no, you're right. And then she herself started thinking about it. Uh-huh. And I don't know if this is the conversation she's having with her son or having a conversation with, I am a man with a uh, pleasing voice, I've been told. <laughs> so maybe it came across there because she said that you know, Hillary Clinton's voice just didn't sound like a politician's voice to her. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Like, um, well, I've never heard that. I've never heard what people are saying but it's like if anyone complains about somebody's voice it's always because it's too feminine you Mm -hmm. know whether it's a man or a woman if they don't like the voice it's it's you know if a man has like a girly voice they don't like it if a woman's voice is too high they don't like it 
it's 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 just doesn't make any sense to me in, why I don't I don't know if anybody's going to finish listening to this episode of your podcast because I have a very shrill voice. I'm fine with it. Um, if I know that um, <laughs> there are several people that will, I don't know how many, but certainly um, I'll I'll mention them to you on Facebook later. But <laughs> apart from my family, there's a few friends. And honestly, I think most of them are women that will finish listening to this. Um, okay and which is awesome but no like i get i almost got off track with my point here uh this whole thing of men being told to shut up we have extremely outside voices outsized voices to begin with and that's mm -hmm. not just like a, you know as you talked about shrill or whatever um hillary clinton talks about that in her latest book which is her advisors kept telling her to like try and speak lower and sound more powerful and be, <laughs> speak more at a slower pace. Yeah. Now, don't I try sound... to do that. Oh, I try God. to do that on the phone. Don't try and sound like a man. I, I know that's easier for me to say, but like, you know, everyone, we should all be celebrated for our uniqueness. I think that's a wonderful thing. People that can own like their own quirks, whatever, just, take pride in themselves is always awesome yeah it's i mean that's a wonderful ideal but yes, like i'm an idealist when, if you, you people also respond to feedback too and and when you have yeah. so much feedback and when i i've had so many people call me a little girl on the phone or you know when i first walked into my office and they gave me the tour all of the people who are now my assistants we're like, oh, we thought she was going to be the secretary. And it's uh, like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, first of all, I'm like 10 years older than all of you. Um, but, but you they, don't look it. Ah, like, oh, God. Take it as a compliment. <sighs> oh, there was, <laughs> there was one day I walked into a, a, an immigration court in New Jersey. And uh, I'm with my client. And... Um, he spoke English, so I, I go to sit down, and on the left is the government attorney, the, the attorney for the Department of Homeland Security, and then there's also the judge, who's the Department of Justice. And I go to sit down, and the woman at the other table, Department of Homeland Security, turns to me and says, are you even old enough to be a lawyer? Jesus Christ. And this is like eight years into my practice. Um, uh. <laughs> And when I told my boss later, who was also a woman, she was like, you should have asked her if she'd taken her medication um, or, you know, something about her being old or whatever. But it's like, that's not the point. No. Like, she wasn't old and I'm not young. And it, and my client just heard her say or conjecture that I'm not old enough to be an attorney. So now he's like, wait, is she an attorney? You know, now the client is thinking about that. Are you an intern? That. Yeah, did they send me here without a lawyer? And and then the judge is like, I don't even remember exactly what I said. And I was like, oh, I I do remember. I said, yeah, that that joke was funny eight years ago or something like that. Um, <laughs> That's good. And the judge was like, you should take it as a compliment. Oh, I think God. he meant it as a compliment. I'm like, this is a room full of women beating down on each other. Like, what is this? I can't. Uh. I cannot believe. 
I mean, aside from the fact that it's like an adversarial environment to begin with, like, how dare you freak out my client for no reason and then think that I should be flattered because I don't look my age when my age is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I guess I'm still like trying to find a better way myself for distinguishing sexism from outright misogyny. But that seems to like kind of go right along the line there where it's, hey, if you're offended, you should take it as a compliment, lady. Like, exactly. I'm saying you're more attractive than you should be. What the hell is because wrong? Because younger, you? younger is attractive. Like, all of these things are wrong. All of this is bad. Why don't you get this? And it's like, why is that the first thing you say to a person you don't know? Are you even old enough to be here? Like, like seriously, lady? Because this lady person, you know, even if I'm wrong, will like to hear that she looks younger. Because she's vain like that. That's yeah. fucked up. That's why I went to law school. <sighs> That's why I'm representing your interest in court. <laughs> what? That's terrible. <laughs> It's like, well, you're going to hate what happens next because my client's going to get a green card. So, suck on that with lunch. I can only, like, imagine look on Stephen Miller's face when that happens. <laughs> Which, you know, speaking of uh, talking about how old people look, he's younger than I am. How is that possible? He's like Mr. Burns. Like, he will, he will be Mr. Burns in another 10 years. I just, I don't understand it. Like, I always tell people that, like, and I'm not trying to, like, brag or, like, compare my story to yours, but I do look younger than I am. I got a baby face, whatever. Um, but that's usually a, like, they don't present it in the same way. Like, and forgive me if I'm, like, overemphasizing this point, but it's, ah, oh, come on, doll face. It's a compliment. Like, right. you know, so I wouldn't have thought you were that old. Okay, whatever. Like, I've got multiple gray hairs you can see in my beard at this point and in my hair. But okay, whatever. So do I. <laughs> They're there. I don't really yeah. care except for I keep getting carded at the liquor store. And people are like, hmm, I, I was just curious. I'm like, why are you carding what? me if you know I'm in my 30s? <laughs> yeah, you look like you're 27. Who cares? I don't. Anyway. Maybe people just have a really strange idea of what 30-year-olds are supposed to look like. I have no um, idea. Based on what, I don't know. I did get carded at an R movie, though. Like <laughs> I haven't been carded at one of those in ages. Um, <laughs> I have. I remember getting carded buying a video game that was like, Oh my god. you must be 17 <laughs> to buy this. I was 25 and was wearing a suit because the job I was working at the time required me to wear like a suit is in well it was sort of in politics. That was the giveaway. That was like who wears a suit to buy video games? This guy is clearly sixteen. But it was put together though. It wasn't like a I have some friends now that are like in their thirties that never wear suits and will ask me questions. I'm like, no, you're gonna look like a fucking kid going to like like homecoming. Don't do that. Like, <laughs> I buttoned all three buttons on my French cut like suit I'm like don't do that that's stupid or the, you know, the i'm wearing a black tie with my white shirt and going to a wedding is it a funeral what no like <laughs> don't do that is it a tarantino movie yeah. 
Well, at least that would be like a skinny tie, right? And like a, a fitted yes. suit. No, yeah. this is like those ties that were very popular in the late 90s are super wide. Like, where did you oh. find that? <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it hasn't come back around yet. Just I bought this. Keep it in the cold. closet. It's just all so bad now. I, <laughs> I <just laughs> that. It is like, bad. It's it's um, yeah, it's been bad since like the summer of 2016. Um, during during the primary season, I yeah. I'm not even I, I don't even like care anymore. So I don't I don't care about being like judged for this or people wondering about this. But like I kind of gave up on dating at some point in 2016 because I just kept getting trolled. Um, I, I was I was honestly getting trolled by Bernie Bros. Uh, during the what primary, the yeah, via dating services, um, and I was like, very obviously, I put like right up front there, rabid feminist, uh, which is like a keep out sign, unless you know the password, which is <laughs> RBD or whatever. Yeah. Um, and but then that just kind of was like a lure for assholes. Yeah. So. They would they would try to start like political debates with me, and even like if I was at a bar and I would meet somebody, and then it would be like so socialism, blah blah blah, capitalism, and and that's why we need Bernie. And then I'd be like, Chuck, I'm just gonna sneak away when you're in the bathroom because I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, it'll be fine when the primaries are over. Who no time for that. I don't understand that. Like. Yeah, I'm going to go on a dating app and troll someone. I'm going to actually meet someone in person and troll them. Why? I don't, I don't know. What I don't benefit know. does this bring to your life? Like, I suppose they feel... The cause... The, I, 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 they're on a mission, <laughs> you know? They're on a mission. And I, you know, was only voting for Hillary because of the vagina thing. Oh so they gosh. were going to try to enlighten me. Uh, and put me on the righteous path. And it's just like, I want to murder something right now. So you should get out of my field of view. Uh, it was it was just bad. It was bad. And then I think the last date that I went on was in like September of 2016. Um, and it went in a severely non-consensual direction. And, and then I gave up completely. I, I said, screw this. Oh, and then, you know, the election itself didn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of more or less been boycotting men ever since. They don't know it, you know, but I know it. Well, um, maybe in theory, if... Uh, I, fuck, I don't even know. I don't blame you at all. That's, uh, that's fucking terrible. Um no, I, and I don't. I I have no evidence that like it's gotten better since then. But it was definitely around that time that everything went off a cliff, as far as you know etiquette goes. It was just bad. And I would assume when you say etiquette, you're not going down the whole. Uh, and I, I don't want to even go. Let's not talk about this guy, but the whole like Jordan Peterson respect the patriarchy, like. 
things were better when men were respected. That's not what the etiquette <laughs> thing is. The etiquette thing is just being respect, a normal, yeah, respect person. each other. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when you didn't, you know, threaten to kill people on the internet? Those oh. times were great. Let's make America more like that again. I've got a work friend who I was driving him back from a meeting we were at earlier this summer. And he and I, like, we used to spend 50 hours a week in this tiny office together. So we, we got to know each other pretty well. And I don't agree with his politics. And he would say some shit that I was like, what? 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 Why are you using that word? And I would tell, but we got close enough that I would actually, like, ask him that and then explain it to him. Like, he okay. called me a Yankee at one point. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? What like, the hell? He's from Virginia and said that, like, I'm a Yankee and just in the South. That may be, but why are you calling me a Yankee? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, like, uh, why? Oh, by the way, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now that says, Real Women Don't Date Yankees in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> I wear it in the house. <laughs> I don't know Yankees fans to that extent, but I, I can at least appreciate the sentiment, I suppose. Um, I, I did dating Yankees fan once. It was uh, it was not the best. Was he a bandwagon Yankees fan or like one of those crazies? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, and that's why I don't usually like Yankees fans because they're like, we just like to win. <laughs> Except when we don't. We're a home and ball. It's someone else's fault. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this this friend of mine. Um, so we're driving back and we're like, we're like talking politics without talking politics because I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really talked to him in two years. He hasn't talked to me in two years. We don't know. It, 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 you don't want to offend each other. We're bros, right? <laughs> and he goes, I was telling a buddy of mine recently that this Trump shit, it's always been there. And all of a sudden now it's like, it's okay to talk about it again, which makes me okay. think uh, – I went to see Mark Maron when he came through town right after Trump was sworn into office in early 2017. And it was this whole thing of like, eh, it's still okay to say that. And that's kind of where I think this like rampant assholeness, you know, obviously coming from men. I mean, yeah. Is, it's trickle is down assholeness. Is like, oh, it's oh. cool to say this now. Hey, it's cool to be an ignorant douchebag. Like, no, well, it's, it's not exactly like that it's cool, but it's sort of like when you have a couple of toddlers in the room and then you start cursing, the toddlers are going to start cursing. And then if you start like breaking things and making a mess, the toddlers are going to start breaking things mm -hmm. and making a mess. The toddlers have this, what what is it, the id, you know? Yep a desire to do things um, and not a whole lot of control over their, their um, willpower, you know, mm -hmm. but they will try to emulate good behavior. If you demonstrate it on the other hand, if you start demonstrating bad behavior, they're just going to go with it and they're going to embrace their id and, and they're going to turn into crazy little, you know, jumping monsters um, because they think it's okay. I mean, it was always there. Yes, everyone has an id. Everyone has urges. 
that they suppress because, you know, society says you can't just run around screaming in people's faces. But then you get a guy at the top who is the leader of the nation who goes around screaming in people's faces. Mm-hmm. And people will start to emulate that behavior. Whether or not, uh, well, because Trump is the perfect, like, embodiment, personification, whatever you want to call it, of an internet troll. Because yeah, he doesn't, he's not confrontational. He won't go up to someone and, like, scream in their face because he's ultimately worried that either they're going to, like, call him a moron perhaps well before he was president punch him in the face like there's consequences there however when you are completely insulated via either the internet or fox news you can go or out there a pedestal yes or an entire uh you know, or two chambers of congress that are controlled by your party that are utterly scared of you, you know, there's no consequences really other than the media going Hey, uh, why did you say that? Fake news. Uh, I never but, said that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to <laughs> get into it, but <clears throat> yeah, I shared a screenshot of, oh, you, you did see it because you commented that was what the screenshot was from of you know, Trump being too stupid when he says these things to realize that it's not just a harmless opinion, that he's playing with hate and he's playing right. with, you know, political dynamite. Um, but when I, I just think back to when I hear my friends say things like this, and to your point too, that you know, this is just people going, "Oh, well, if if a political party is doing this, the president's doing this, if the most popular cable network in, in the United States is doing this, it must be okay." And you know, I'm just looking out for me, which is, I guess, the classic trope of you know, almost libertarians, but conservatives all over the place. Um, you know, how how come I don't matter? Like, well, you do matter, but whatever happened to this idea of, and this is what I try and tell men who I talk to about, hey, you're not fucking getting this, is whatever happened to this idea that challenging ourselves to be better than our baser instincts right. is not only what makes us human, <laughs> but, you know, if we want to boil this down to some patriotic claptrap, it's what makes us American. We're challenging the world to be better. But you can't do that unless you challenge yourself to be better. And yeah. I, I kind of well, feel like... It, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just agreeing that, that it's become a society of me. And it's like, yep. uh, because I am, for no other reason than because I am, I guess, I should have all these things. Um, and people will say, oh, that's a millennial mindset or, no, it's not. you know, that's a conservative mindset or that's a middle America, you know, whatever. No, that's, that that's human. Mm-hmm. You know, humans are rational actors, human, humans want what they want and they'll generally tend to do things and take action to get things that they want. But there's also like an extreme short sightedness right now. It's like, okay. I understand that you don't want to get up and go vote because it will be a hassle. Um, But in order for you to have a country that protects you from, for instance, Russia, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have a democratic society. 
if you want a country in which you can leave your house whenever you want and go to a bar or a movie or buy some stuff and then go home to your own house, you know, you have to participate in a society. Like yep. you can't isolate yourself because once everyone isolates themselves, there is no more society. There's just demagogues, you know, yep. and and if you don't work for it, you're going to lose it. And this whole idea that, you know, we learned in poli sci that uh, <laughs> the prisoner's dilemma or whatever, like the reason why people don't go vote because they're assuming other people will, yep. or, you know, it doesn't matter if they vote or not. It's yeah, not going to yeah. change the election. And it's like, how selfish are you that the only reason you would vote is if you got to decide what happened. Mm -hmm. Is if your vote was the tie-breaking vote. You basically just want us all to do what you want to do. And if you don't get to do that, then you're not participating. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's selfish. It and really it's is. a selfish generation. And self-defeating. Yeah. Cause so many people think that way. And they're like, well, I have a I have more influence on social media like no no that's not how that works i mean no. that's self-aggrandizing for sure well and your friends but, will agree with you i i could attest yeah. to that you get you'll get a lot of attention for a couple of minutes maybe a couple of seconds um but it doesn't really have an effect you're not changing anyone's mind um and it's just the whole the whole unwillingness to vote is just really selfish it is and um to your point earlier about you know the whole what we learn as political science students and how we're stronger as a collective than just you know kind of lone wolfing it for ourselves and assuming that like if we look out for ourselves all of a sudden everyone else better off that goes against the entire just kind of concept of the democracy if you well it's not technically democracy but we're a nation the system that yeah we were built upon which is a Lockean democracy where you know, Locke observed that when people come together to not just protect themselves, but also to protect private property, because they can all protect together, um, they're much more powerful than if they're just always looking out for themselves at all times. Right. And to those people that, you know, sorry, the, uh, the dog's starting to get restless. This happens when uh, Julia's not home to take him out during podcasts. Um, but yeah, this, I want someone who's a constitutional originalist. Okay. But do you want someone who fundamentally understands like Lockean democracy? Like I took an entire class about that. Like the founders definitely based <coughs> Jefferson in particular, a lot of the government model off of John Locke's ideas. So there's that. But then again, you know, what do you and I know? E, we're just, uh, political science nerds. We're not, uh, <laughs> I don't even know if they call themselves. It's not, it's not like I studied law for that's, that's you know, true. eight years and, <laughs> and worked in law for another eight years. No, you, you no. don't watch Fox News. Or that's what did someone tell me one time that conservatives have a better grasp of the Constitution, and I obviously they have never read it. <laughs> and if they well, they've read what Fox News says about it on the TV, like. Uh, same thing. Oh my God! Speaking of the Constitution, yes. 
I and I was talking to my mother about this. The other thing that that boils my blood about Kavanaugh is that the moment that this became political partisanship, it should have been over. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. <laughs> and I and I know that this kind of you know, and she was reminding me that judgeships, you know, Supreme Court judgeships were were partisan pre-Roosevelt. And I was like, oh, I forgot about that, you know. Um, and then Roosevelt spent three terms in office trying to depoliticize the Supreme Court. Um, and then it started to become politicized again under Reagan. But the notion that that they would try to control the judiciary you know, and insert partisan politics into the judiciary is, in my mind, like treasonous. Um, and it's de- it's degenerative for democracy because mm-hmm. the whole point of having uh, an Article Three in the Constitution and a third branch of government that you fill with people who stay there until death do they part is that that is supposed to be untouchable by partisan politics, that people don't elect Mm -hmm. them. They're not subject to the mood swings of the country. Um, They're there for life. They're unbiased. They owe nothing to anybody um, so that they can be impartial. And they're the ones who tell us what the law means. And they're the ones who really affect our daily lives, whether people realize it or not. And you have to trust them. Everyone has to trust them. And the only way that everyone can trust judges is if we all know that they're not partisan. Mm -hmm. But the moment that they become politicized, the moment that they start spewing conspiracy (laughs) theories, you're like, this guy is is biased mm-hmm. and you can't have a biased judge uh i know that it seems like we do but believe it or not we still have some unanimous decisions on the supreme court there was an eight to one decision in immigration that i'm sure blew trump's mind because of Gorsuch Gors- voted against the government um but like this guy he seems incapable of convincing people that he's not partisan. And that's the most important part. He just has to appear. That's why the appearance of impropriety is Mm -hmm. such a major issue. Because if people don't trust the courts, they don't trust the law, and they'll just start selectively following the law. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, but there aren't enough people um, in the country to enforce laws against, you know, 50% of the country if they don't believe in the law. Yeah. So it's just it, it, chaos is like right around the corner if nobody trusts the judges. This, uh, this sounds very similar to what I heard from a listen NYU either like law school professor or something like that. But um, on NPR yesterday it was basically saying the same thing that um, due to what Kavanaugh said in the hearing, he has now effectively disqualified himself in front of people that go in front of him to argue cases that are legit political and you know so if they are representing something that is you know per like in favor of the democratic party or whatever whatever labor that now 
uh, when they go in front of Kavanaugh, if he like they view his votes as not dispassionate and fully partisan and will just kind of uh-huh. ignore it. So yeah. if there is a 5-4 decision where Kavanaugh was the you know, deciding vote, it'll be, well, that They'll was just keep attacking it. Yep. And they'll just say, well, we're, we're, we're going to change it someday. Just like conservatives have been saying with Roe v. Wade for years. You know, we don't have to follow this rule. We can keep trying to break this rule in different ways. We'll come at it from every direction because someday we'll change it. Uh, That's not how the law is supposed to work. It's true. Oh, we'll have to and do this. You've already had. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Sorry. Um, so I know I got, I was, are you referring to the person on, on Facebook the other day? When you talk about your friend? Yes. Um, yep. Okay. So I did mention um, in that comment, Fred, that an example of how people treat judges that they believe are, are biased or, or how people treat judges who they believe are not making reasoned, unbiased decisions um, is happening in immigration court at the moment because we've got Jefferson B. Sessions referring every other case to himself and overruling the appeal board and writing his own decisions, which are a little cuckoo. Um, They're out of nowhere. They're changing precedents, but it's all administrative law. So technically he can do that until uh, a circuit court overrules him. But because the things he's are, the things he's doing are so absurd no one's buying it. And and as litigators, we're all like, he's out by November. He's going to be gone. Um, we're still going to be here. Most of our cases are still going to be pending. So we're filing motions that the judges are denying because we're like, we're just going to bring it up later. Um, you know, we just want it on the record. We want to preserve mm-hmm. the issue. And, and the judges are like, you're wasting so much time. <laughs> and like, we don't see it that way. Nope. We think the law is going to change because right now it's being interpreted in a in a partisan way. Um, but the and the, some of the judges are like, I would love to grant this, but my bosses tell me I can't. That's, and you're like, yeah. you're a judge. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, are they? I don't know. There's some debate about that because they're not Article Three judges. But basically. Um, the immigration courts are no longer seen as being impartial uh, courts because they're run by Jeff Sessions. So we just throw motions out. We throw applications out. They all get denied. We appeal. That'll get denied. We'll appeal again. You know, we're taking it all the way to the top. (laughs) And it's like paper warfare. And the beaches of Normandy right now. but I don't know how long our clients can hang on. You know, they're not, they don't have bottomless pockets and they might get tired of litigation and we want to fight everything, but they might just say, I give up. Well, and from what I'm seeing too, uh, with the likes of not just uh, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, but uh, Stephen Miller, is there's now new restrictions heaped upon the immigration system nearly every day to make it harder for, you know, Immigrants, especially those, those pesky <laughs> non-white ones. Oh yeah, especially them. 
Well, they make it harder for, they're making it harder for legal immigration. Mm -hmm. They're making it harder for people in removal proceedings to apply for applications. Um, They're manipulating the border situation. Um, So basically- That's putting it mildly. (laughs) Well, here's here's the sneaky thing they're doing. Um, If you come to the border at a port of entry and present yourself, and request asylum, they are supposed to interview you and then put you in proceedings to apply for asylum. Then that's called being paroled in for asylum. But what they're doing is when people come to the border, they're saying, um, we're full. You can't come in today, come back tomorrow. And then they come back the next day. And and this is like the desert and or Ciudad Juarez or somewhere where the you know, Sinola cartel yeah. or La Linea cartel are basically paroling the border looking for victims. They can't stay there. You know, they've made it all this way. They can't stay there. So they'll try a day or two. They keep getting refused at the port of entry. So then they try to cross illegally in between the ports of entry where CBP is waiting for them, arrests them and prosecutes them for crossing illegally instead of using the port of entry. Which they won't let them use. And from there, they are sent to private prisons, am I uh, not mistaken there? Yeah, and that's when their kids are taken away from them. But they have no option. I mean, once once you're there, and you're at Eagle Pass, or you're at Ciudad Juarez, or you're at Tijuana, I'm sorry, but you can't hang out in Tijuana for a few days. No. You can't do it. So... They cross out of desperation because they won't let them through the port of entry to apply legally. But, you know, um, it's the people like Mueller that are going after like Trump and his friends for needlessly, you know, minor violations. Uh, I guess (laughs) we'll probably never get that. Lying to the FBI. (laughs) Will we? That's a, you know, when they sit there and say that they're for law and order, they're only for law and order for even really like not just for black and brown people. They're for law and order for people that aren't rich white people. Right. They're for the laws and the orders that keep them away from those people. And in power. That's and kind in of, power. I think what we're seeing with a lot of this is I think there are plenty of asshats that you know genuinely think that <clears throat> Kavanaugh is the real victim. But I would imagine there's a lot of people <sighs> in Washington that are like, we got a Supreme Court seat because how else are we going to, you know, manage you know, or legislate from the bench, which that's been another fun thing. I don't know if you've seen this, but the conservatives are con- accusing the liberals of doing, which is legislating from the bench because their policies have been proven to be so unpopular that they must uh, basically do minority rule, which goes against all evidence. But, you know, there's that. So I think what they're talking about there is they're talking about Roe v. Wade, Loving v. Virginia and board versus or Brown versus Board of Education. They're talking about liberals forcing them to desegregate, forcing them to allow black and white people to get married, 
and I forcing them to, I don't know, stand idly by while women get abortions. I'm not sure about that part. Um, but that that's what they're talking about. They think the majority is opposed to those things and the court making people accept those things is minority rule when it's actually just like, no, that's just the constitution because we decided to form a free society. Indeed. Because I think they're still, aren't they still alive? Uh, that I, couple? I think you're right. Yeah, I think they're still alive and I think they're still married. So <laughs> that'd be a lesson to people of yep. some kind. If they but, tell you they want to get married, maybe just let them. They yeah. meant it. Okay, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that they had to do that. Like, I think they couldn't go anywhere else, so they sued. Okay. That, that makes I'm sense. not 100% sure. I don't know if it was, like, okay in Massachusetts, because God bless Massachusetts, but I don't really remember. I can look that up during the editing process, and I hate to do this because it's been such a good conversation, but... I should probably get off here because the dog is getting rambunctious and um, mm -hmm. I don't know if he needs to run out, but he's clawing the shit out of my arms right now, Oh, which is totally fun. Yeah. He, he thinks I'm talking with him. And so the more, like I gave him a bully stick <laughs> to start the conversation and he got done with that and he was just chewing on random stuff he found on the floor. So, but no, we should <laughs> totally do. And if you're up for it, I mean, you can let me know later, but we should totally do like, I mean, if I have time to, like, a, a different podcast segment where you talk about law, or you talk about law, and I sit there and go, hey, can I ask you questions because I don't know what I'm doing? Because <laughs> that'd be cool. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yep. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, like, an expert. But well, there, there's, I know stuff. You do know stuff, and you're entertaining, which is uh, kind of, I think, or we oftentimes try to do here is tie in some of our nerdiness with some of our knowledge with also being entertaining and hoping that people will take like, you know some combination of that and actually learn something i know a lot of times yeah. like uh julia my fiance will listen to it and go wait what the hell are those two talking about I'm like google it <laughs> like, oh, okay now i understand so oh <laughs> if we can keep doing stuff like that i'm totally down Okay, no problem. <laughs> All right, so thanks, E. And I'm going to cut off the Keep it safe with me.